Hey, everybody, you know what time it is. It is Tuesday night, and it's Tuesday night, which means it's time for Outside the Box. And as we have promised there have for the last two weeks, we're going to be talking about this thing called addiction. So let's uh, go ahead on and uh, bring on our wonderful resident, as I would call it, um, therapist who knows everything and knows how to talk about everything, uh, Miss Renice Johnson. Hey, Renice. Hi, how are you? I am doing well, well, well. Um, we have a couple of more people who are going to be um, joining us. So I'm really excited to get started with this conversation about um, addiction. So I can't wait uh, to get going. Um, let's start off by, let, let me start off by praying. Uh, let me just start off by praying. God, I bless you and I thank you for this opportunity to share and um, provide this information for people who are struggling with addiction, struggling with different kinds of addictions. And and am so excited that you have allowed us to come together to be alive right now to have this conversation. So I thank you in Jesus name. Amen. We also have Miss Nikki joining us. Hey, Miss Nikki. Hello. Hey, it's good to see you. Good to, to talk you to well. you. Thank you. So we're going to have this conversation about addiction. And um, right away, uh, hey, uh, Apostle Wallace, good to see you, man. Um, we are going to have this conversation about uh, addiction. We were scheduled to have a couple of folks on who actually have, um, who are in recovery right now. And um, they unfortunately, uh, they're a couple. One was addicted to alcohol. Another one was addicted to alcohol as well as pills. Um, and uh, they're a couple. They uh, met in recovery and um, they are thriving right now. But um, a situation came up. They can't be there. But we still can have the conversation, talk about uh, addiction. And I am looking forward to having that conversation. So let's kind of jump right in. I want to start with you, Renice. Can you give us um, a real working definition of what addiction is and kind of what that means? So basically you're looking at a physical and mental, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Dependence on something despite the consequences. So despite the financial issues, the issues it causes your family, you cannot break this thing. Um, okay. And there are lots of different types of addictions. Uh, and, and I want to explore each and every one of those because those are, because uh, what I've come to understand is there there's some things that people are addicted to that they may not have discovered that it was possible to be addicted to. Nikki, you work with uh, folks um, uh, specifically with alcohol, is that correct? Yeah, my family owns a drug and alcohol treatment center here in Austin, Texas. So my family has owned it since 1991. Uh, my dad died with 36 years of recovery under his belt. So I, I know a little, just a little tiny little something, something about drugs and alcohol, recovery, relapse, and the miracle, the, the absolute miracle of recovery. So not in recovery myself, uh, thanks to that walk that I come from. Um, but yeah, you have a little bit of insight. Okay, so let's kind of jump right on in uh, to the conversation. When we talk about uh, addictions, um, and Nikki, I'll start with you first, um, and then I, I want to jump to uh, Renice, but I, I want to know how are addictions formed? When you've talked to folks in your uh, in, in your family business and you guys have been counseling and talking to folks, uh, when you kind of get to the root of it, how is addiction formed? Like, what's the the umph that gets kind of people down that path towards addiction? 
So generally, most of our clients come to us from what we call a nudge from the judge, meaning they've gotten into trouble somewhere legally and um, some power that be thankfully has determined that they might need to get some some resources for their for their issue. Um, so in, 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 in having those types of clientele, you know, those are different than clients who may go to an inpatient facility with really, really, really good insurance and say, OK, I've got a problem and I need to get some help. Um, you know, the, the, the bottom line for each client, whether they are a self-referred client or somebody who's been told they have to get some rehab is there's a trauma. There's, there's a bottom. There's an underlying trauma somewhere. You ask any addict, you ask any alcoholic, you ask anybody in recovery, and they can almost always tell you when's the first time they got high. And, and, wow. and people who maybe smoke weed on an occasional basis or may take prescription medication, you know, for, um, you know, mood disorders or may drink alcohol probably can't pinpoint when they became addicted. So there's so many components to who and why um, people become addicted to mood altering substances. But if you think about the word, literally the words mood altering substances, this is what they do. Um, you know, then when you get into the science of it, you know, it's, it's all about the transmitters, the neurotransmitters, all of the things up here that keep communication going. These drugs um, affect the, the, the reward system. These drugs, this alcohol affects the ability to have pleasure literally in anything other than seeking that first high that they'll never, ever be able to recreate. And then when you get into wow. the dynamics of all the other parts of life that have been affected by this use, then it's, it's the cycle of addiction. Um, and that becomes the the uncontrollable part, you know, um, addiction is a disease. A lot of people don't believe that because people who don't understand how addiction works thinks that you can just quit drinking and it's going to go away or you can quit using and it's just going to go away. And I mean, obviously if it was that easy, right, I would, we wouldn't have a business to operate. It, it doesn't work that way. Once those chemicals find their space in your brain chemistry, reroute and, and damage some of those, those synapses and those, transmitters and neurotransmitters, literally nothing is more important than getting high or avoiding getting dope sick. So Renice, uh, Nikki said a word uh, or, or a word, yeah, trauma. Talk about how that trauma really kind of impacts a person's judgment and kind of what the long-term uh, pathway towards this addiction, how that kind of comes because of this trauma. Well, um, first of all, trauma means different things to different people. Um, so someone who was abused as a child may experience that trauma differently than someone who's experienced abuse as an adult. Okay. So, um, oftentimes people start self-medicating. Whatever they experienced was too painful for them to face sober, basically. And nine times out of 10, it started out with a drink here. Oh, well, that made me feel good. So the next mm -hmm. night I'll have another drink that made me feel mm -hmm. good. Finally, I can sleep. And then the next thing you know, you're drinking throughout the day just to maintain. Wow. Well, and what a lot of people don't realize is this is what is happening is your tolerance is building. And when your tolerance continues to build for a substance, it's like anything else. We need more and more and more to get to that desired effect. And literally with some drugs, the ability to ever receive that space where you're like, oh, okay, I'm good. I can put this drink down. It doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And then in scenarios where people are not drinking or using, relapse is so high. I mean, we used to always tell clients, there's an 80% chance you're going to relapse. And that's mm -hmm. not because it's pessimistic. That's because the brain goes into the phenomenon of craving. Mm -hmm. And so even though I don't want to use, I don't want to lose my relationship. I don't want to go back to jail. I don't want to hurt anybody. My brain is constantly saying, yes, 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 you need this. And, and, and so therein lies the added trauma to their cycle. Mm -hmm. So Bishop Foreman, you've been in, um, you, you have counseled people uh, with various forms of addiction. Um, do you find that they find it, uh, one, do they recognize the seriousness of their addiction? And if so, um, why is it hard to commit to fighting the addiction? 
Great question. First of all, Bishop, thanks for having me. And I'm glad to be on with these uh, ladies who are obviously very uh, learned and skilled and erudite in what they do and glad to be on tonight. Um, I think what Nikki actually just made reference to is the key, the word reward. So if I perceive something as a reward, you telling me that I need to cease it almost seems counterintuitive. Um, even recognizing that it's a problem when I am receiving that thing as a reward, that becomes a very difficult argument. So even when you talk about realiz uh, the realization of what's happening, uh, uh, interventions, the, the assortment of those types of activities, the reality is, is that if I'm viewing it as a reward uh, subconsciously, then that becomes a very difficult thing to fight um, because I'm not seeing it as a problem that needs to be corrected. I am seeing it as something that I need to do more of. And so consequently, when you say a, a person fighting, well, why would I want to fight You know, a reward? That's like telling a kid, let's fight the urge to go get ice cream. Uh, that's like telling, uh, you know, telling somebody, let's fight the urge to do something that we have now classified um, either consciously or subconsciously as a reward. So I think they're in like the challenge. So, uh, uh, Renice, uh, when we talk about addiction, most people only associate addiction with alcohol and drugs, some for pills, you know, Oxycontin and all of these kinds of things. Uh, there are other types of addiction. Right. So we have uh, there's addiction to porn or sex, porn, uh, social media. Uh, I mean, to the extent now um, that uh, Apple has the ability for you to gauge how much time you're spending on social media. Right. Uh, even addiction to something as innocuously uh, as innocuous as like TV, right? So, how does a person um, recognize this uh, addiction? How, especially when it's so unclassified in terms of well, it's not drugs, it's not alcohol. So, how do I know that this is an addiction for me? Oftentimes it's hard to recognize that, but if in your thinking, if this is something you have to do on a daily basis, despite wanting to do other things. So like for television, if the only thing you can think about is getting home so you can watch television, despite having laundry to do, kids to take care of, then that television's a problem. But oftentimes it takes someone else to point out this might be a problem for you, you know, and most times people don't want to hear that, but you're absolutely right. Addiction looks very different. Um, and I have worked with people who their drug of choice was literally another person. Mm -hmm. Love addiction. Yeah, what, Love what addiction. That's interesting. Oh yeah. Um, well, you get someone who tends to be trapped in a relationship that may or may not be abusive, but is definitely toxic. And despite everything you try to do to get out of that relationship, some way you're drawn back into that relationship. Despite, you know, whether your family likes them or dislikes them, whether your best self or your worst self with this person, you cannot leave this person alone. So, uh, Nikki, you said you called it love addiction. Talk, 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 to, me about, talk to me about love addiction. That's that's an interesting concept. I mean, addiction, you know, I think some people may may throw the word addiction around because um, they may not understand that there are components that, that make something addicted, addictive versus something I just really, really like. Um, so a lot of times in, 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 in uh, substance abuse related situations, the love addiction is another component to that. You've got a codependent partner, you have um, enabling family members, you have enmeshment happening, you have these dynamics um, that also aid to why this person is going to have a challenge um, getting sober, staying sober, um, changing people, places, and things. Love addiction is the same thing. You know, if there's an increase of tolerance or a decrease of tolerance, I'll just throw out a couple of the things that are classic in, 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 in DSM criteria. Addiction, uh, you know, uh, increase of tolerance, decrease of tolerance. That's love, sex, porn, drugs, alcohol. Um, things getting put on the back burner, spending too much time obtaining, using, recovering from, um, uh, continued use despite uh, consequence. So I know this is going to, you know, cause me a problem at work and my relationship with my health, 
um, with my legal status, um, me being able to be a functional parent and get out of bed and take the kids to school and make breakfast. And, you know, so when you start kind of just checking off the list of things that have become affected by this person's use, be it drugs, alcohol, sex, love, porn, Internet, gambling, all of those things. um, Typically, people don't just have an addiction to one thing. Um, There's multiple there's multiple facets to to their traumas. Um, that kind of keep them in those spaces. But yeah, love addiction is, love addiction, I don't, I don't know which is worse, but love addiction is hard because how do you tell somebody that love is a bad thing, right? Um, wow. But when that love is clearly causing, you know, issues, then we got a problem. Now, Ms. Foreman, I have a question for you, but before I ask you that question, I want to jump back to Renice and ask her a question. Um, when Nikki was talking about kind of all of these things, you, you were kind of in the background shaking your head, like acknowledging, hey, that I mean, she's on it. She's right. So is is addiction. Oh, I just lost the, the thought that I was, like, I, was, I was about to go down the path. That was so good. That was so good. And I forgot. it. So I'm going to come back to it. Okay. Let me come to you. Um, is there a difference between addiction and obsession? Great question. Uh, I think I think they go hand in hand. I, I can go hand in hand. It's particularly when you're talking about some of the um, the um, non non drug, non alcohol uh, types of uh, addictions. I think um, when you look at obsession, it means that you're preoccupied with something. And I think the very path of addiction. Uh, uh, I think that those two things go hand in glove, um, especially when you're talking about that. And one of the things I love that. Um, uh, Renisha said about uh, the um, uh, when you're talking about addiction to a relationship or love as uh, love addiction as Nikki defined it uh, is that whether it's toxic or not, um, which I think is is such a unique nuance because uh, to what Nikki said, how do you tell somebody that love um, is a bad thing, um, mm-hmm. and, and it's not necessarily. Um, that love itself is the bad thing. It is that the uh, the addiction, the obsession, the attachment that has been developed to an individual compulsion um, exactly creates the issue. Um, Because this is why I think we see when those relationships fail, why people are so devastated Um, because that person became their everything. And that's dangerous for anybody to become your everything. Um, That's too much responsibility and pressure for another human being to hold. And that is creating a standard for them to occupy in your life that they that frankly, they don't have the capacity to be able to uh, be able to fill that space. in Now, I'm going to throw a wrench there and I wrote it. Question. Well, I wrote I got two question uh, for you. <laughs> I didn't forget it. I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget it. But I want to throw a wrench in there. But don't we kind of tell people as a society that when you get in a relationship, um, that has to be your primary thing? That has to be what uh, that you uh, over everything else? Doesn't that relationship have to take that kind of precedent? And so, how do we talk about? making that relationship primary in your life uh, without, uh, while also telling them, hey, but it can't be primary in your life. Well, that might again, be why I, we have a 50% of divorce rate. Right, 50% <laughs> first marriages, 67% second marriages, 73% third marriages, which means it gets worse. It doesn't get better. Pick People's pickers get worse. And I think yeah. that's exactly the problem. Just because culture endorses it doesn't make it healthy or right. Yeah. Um, listen, there's a, a, a donut restaurant. Um, up the street from my home called Voodoo Donuts. Listen, the name tells you you're about to get in some trouble. They got one there too? Yeah. We got yeah. one there too. You, <laughs> so they have a maple bacon donut. And I don't mess with sugar. I, prom- <laughs> I lost 95 pounds. I don't mess with sugar, uh, white sugar and stuff like that. But here's the thing. Today, I was like, you know what? I got a lot done today. I've been running today. I'm going to be fast. Uh-huh. Next I'm just going to have I, me one donut. Just one you donut. You already know. <laughs> And so, um, and so, you know, I, just because culture says that it's right or good, um, it's not necessarily does not necessarily make it right, nor does it necessarily make it healthy. And so, I can be overjoyed but not obsessed. I can be in love but not a leech. 
Um, and, and so uh, I can be, um, I can be, uh, aspire to be greater for them, but not, uh, um, you know, toxically attached to them. And so I, I think therein lay um, where you run into many, many issues. And then let's even push the envelope further, Bishop. Um, unfortunately, many people, even in Christianity, have very bad notions and very bad beliefs about love and relationships and family even. Because for many people, they are addicted to the applause of their family, but their family mm -hmm. is toxic. They have the Adams mm -hmm. Um, and so the that's a toxic, they're kooky and they're spooky, right? So, <laughs> you know, all together ooky. So at the end of the day, just because culture is saying this is good, culture saying go get that donut and that donut put me out. I was out. I'm just saying. Okay. So, Renice, here's my question for you. Is there a thing realistically, and, and Mickey said something, and that's what made me think about it, and then I completely lost it. But is there a thing, because she said people can be addicted to multiple things, but is there a thing called an addictive person or an addictive personality or addiction trait? Is it something that you can in, inherit? I mean, so all of that kind of stuff. So that's the question for you. Is there this addictive person, personality, or trait, or any of that kind of stuff? Absolutely. Like with most mental health issues, you can have a predisposition. Mm -hmm. So if mom was an alcoholic and grandma was an alcoholic and great grandma was an alcoholic, you need to watch your alcohol intake. Guess what? <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing about that is oftentimes I've worked with people who have just traded addictions. Mm -hmm. So let's Ooh. say they stopped mm -hmm. smoking crack, but now you know, they smoke cigarettes, like, you know, it's going out of style. Or I know someone in an effort to not fall back into substance use, worked 14 hours a day, seven days a week, mm -hmm. just to stay constantly busy, not to fall back in that crack use. So, um, or people who have, uh, you mentioned you've lost weight, people who've gone from eating terribly to obsessively eating healthy and being at the gym four hours a day you know so i've worked with addictions um because they do have that addictive type of personality somebody put in here and and so i want i want somebody to answer how do you avoid trading addictions you can't you can't when you, when you, when you are all, when you already have a brain, and this is something I wanted to interject, because I was listening to each of y'all um, kind of give great examples, the donut example. When your, when your reward center of your brain no longer operates in its natural state of, like me, I'm a foodie, right? I should be 500 pounds. Thank God I turned into a vegan, right? I should, but I should be, I should be large as much as I eat and as much as enjoyment food gives me. I'm the person where food comes to the table and my foot starts tapping and I'm like, yeah, food's coming, uh, right? Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> so, so well, my friend, she's, she's listening, so she, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna get in trouble for saying this, but she hums. Like, you know that's greedy when you go to humming when you see food. Anyway, keep on yes. going. <laughs> so, so if you have done enough dr enough damage to your to your brain in 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 the in the admission of drugs or alcohol, mood mood, mood altering substances, and you got to keep those words very very clear because that's what they are, mood altering. You can say drugs and and people can kind of eh, it's just drugs, but when you say mood altering, these are chemicals that are designed to alter your perception, your reception, how your brain, how your brain operates normally. And so when you have your reward center of your brain no longer finding excitement and pleasure in things like food, sex, um, going to a child's uh, graduation, um, having family events, going to going anything that we generally find pleasurable. When those things, when your brain can no longer send the messages that allow us to believe that those things are pleasurable, we don't want that stuff anymore. What we want is what gives us that pleasure. And for somebody who has a brain that's definitely diseased with addiction of some sort, you get the reward from the drug. That's all you want. You don't want food. You don't want sex. You don't want sleep sometimes. It, it's amazing when you really break down the science of how the brain changes. So telling somebody, oh, just quit 
It's not that simple. You literally have to set up a lifestyle structure of changing people, places, and things. And you have to have whatever your support system is in play to maintain that. Clients used to tell my dad even before he died, they're like, why do you still go to those meetings? Why are you still going to AA meetings? Why do you still go every day at lunch? You haven't drank or used in 20, 30 years because that's what you do. That's how you stay sane. That's how you... About creating a structure. Mm-hmm. Addiction is not curable. And that's why it's a disease. It's not curable. You will never cure somebody's addiction. You can treat it. You can change people, places, and things to... Um, maybe reduce some of your trigger factors, but somebody in recovery is in recovery for life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, 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 Bishop, um, this idea that um, you, you you can't cure it, you can't change it. Um, how how do you counsel people who are listening who are who who are Christian and they and they want they want the help of their pastor? for their addiction. How do you deal with that? Well, I mean, one, you get the people that you get people the right information. Um, so the right information, I think, uh, solves uh, a tremendous uh, number of issues and it provides the proper set of expectations. Um, at the end of the day, uh, most, if we're honest, um, if we look at the medical industry, for example, Tylenol is not going to do anything other than masks what it is that I'm dealing with, right? It's going to mask, mask the headache, mask the issues. Um, and so the reality is, um, I love the, the way they um, uh, just made reference to that, is the, getting the right information, setting the proper expectation, and that being um, that this is what you need to do in order to alter your life, alter your circumstances, alter your environment um, so that you can do that. And that's a very spiritual principle, if we're quite uh, if we're quite frank with it. Jesus, for example, Mike does this, uh, you know, uh, uh, man that's got, uh, you know, a tremendous uh, number of issues. And Jesus says to him, he says, OK, listen, he says, you're healed, but go and sin no more. Change your environment, change who you're around, change, because there's a reason that you got caught up in that in the first place. And so I don't I don't mean to overcomplicate addiction, but but the but the end result is there in the same is that there has to be changes that uh, provide you an environment um, to where things are to where you're not able to easily grab uh, and and access that uh, particular substance that's not good for you. I do have a question for the ladies because. Well, one of the things um, I think that um, sometimes can come up when you're dealing with addiction is shame. And 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 I would throw this question um, to you both um, and start with Renee and then go to Nikki. Is is how do people deal with shame? Because for most people, so like I'm an alpha style male. I'm a I'm a that's the type of man I am. And those type of men tend to struggle with addiction because they don't want to admit. Yeah, they're for y'all are fun in group. Let me tell you how much fun y'all are in a process group. <laughs> this is the first time I've ever been put in a y'all. My <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, those men in a process right. group, boy, let me tell you. Right. Uh, and, and so, and I get that. And I think um, that's shame, though, to, to, to take off all of that. And to deal with that shame um, can be very difficult. If we want to go Bible, you can look in the garden where Adam, God asked him a simple question. Did you do what I said not to do? And his shame makes him blame the woman you gave me. Um, and so that's the nature of shame. So what do you say to someone that's listening right now that says, listen, maybe they're not addicted to drugs or alcohol, uh, but they are addicted to porn. They are addicted to a relationship and you know they're like anime bullock and he is ike jr i mean you know it is just an awful what do you say to somebody who their shame won't even let them deal with the realities of the fact that they may have some addictive behaviors well honestly it would depend on the person some people you can kind of push and put it in their face and bring it out other people you have to be gentle with because that shame and that guilt is so deep you know so first you have to make it an environment where I understand you're addicted, but this is a safe place and we're going to tackle this hard stuff. We're going to get into this root, nasty stuff, the trauma. As Nikki mentioned, these mind altering substances change the chemistry of your brain. Well, so does trauma. So your brain is all wonky now because you've been traumatized. Now you have this substance abuse or addiction issue. And so you have to 
open them up to the fact that this is an issue, but you're not alone and you can work through this. This is something that we can work on, work through, and you can live your life healthily. But first we have to call it and we have to look at it. Nikki, what would you say? I think that the person certainly has to be at a space where they acknowledge they have a problem one, because if you don't acknowledge we got a problem, then you could, I could tell you the sky is blue all day. You're never going to believe the sky is blue if that's how you feel. So I think once a person has maybe gotten to a place of acceptance where they identify that, yeah, I got arrested again, or yeah, you know, I, 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 you know, whatever the situation may be, I am a firm, absolute firm believer in you go to your people, you go to your community, you go to your village and your village and the aspect of substance abuse is people in recovery. You go to what works. You know, my dad was a big, 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 big 12 step blue book thumper. I don't know if you know what the blue book of addiction, uh, the Alcoholics Anonymous is the blue book, the Narcotics Anonymous is black. Um, but my dad was a big blue book thumper and um, believed in nothing but the 12 steps to to get a person sober and to keep a person sober. And as modalities have changed, of course, over the last, you know, 50 years, um, there's there's celebrate recovery. There's rational recovery. There's, um, you know, there's there's so many different support groups, but it. it I don't want to say it's a disservice to try to treat somebody with a malady that you've never had, but it's so beneficial to see a therapist or to get involved with a group of people who's got the same thing, because that's where you identify. That's where the shame comes away from. That's where feeling like, okay, I am a good person. There isn't anything wrong with me. I didn't do something to deserve this, you know, because a lot of the times our, our addicts and alcoholics, they're constantly judged by their family and their friends about what they should do, what they shouldn't do and how terrible they are and how, how many times they screwed up the family system that who's going to want to go to you for help. Sure. You know? So when we, when we get family, crying and crying, what do I do? How do I fix this? You know, we tell them you got two ways. You can either sit there, hold on. I'm sorry. My phone's ringing. You can either sit there and, you know, try to do this for them, or you're going to have to learn, that you may not have any control over this whatsoever. You have to watch them crash and burn. Um, but when you know when you know how to get to those resources, you get them to those resources. You get them to an AA meeting, a 12-step meeting, whatever their church spiritual advisor is. But you you really got to get them around folks who are of, of 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 the same of the same of the same community. What I'm hearing you say is a non-judgmental a non-judgmental environment really is very important to dealing with to dealing with that. Absolutely. Right. Right. I have another question. And, and, and Mr. Brad, I know you just posted a question um, that I'll let you do. But I have a question because you Real quick, my volume. My volume is terrible. I don't know. I can't hear you very well. Can y'all hear? Do, okay? do you have an Android? I do. That's the reason. Right That's the problem. You right? problem right I thought you had an Android when you started having trouble. I knew. Yeah. I, I sensed it in the spirit when it, when she said that something in the spirit told me that's an Android. See that? I don't know what happened. Oh, this is an ongoing thing y'all doing. <laughs> Absolutely. I knew it. I knew if you were having problems, it was an Android. Oh, I, have, I have a question. Okay. Uh, Bishop Bright, we're seven days from um, from an election. And I don't want to go political, but I do want to address what about people who are addicted to um, Stockholm Syndrome, where people are addicted to um, empathizing with their abusers? Uh, number one, let's push it further. People who are addicted to liars and people who lie and lying. Let's talk about those addictions, because there's a there's many Americans that struggle with that. Renice, jump yes. in. Um, he hit on something and <laughs> that, um, that, that definitely is a thing, but that goes back to, um, self-worth mm. and being beat down, whether it's by a system, a person, your job that you don't see your worth anymore. Mm. And so whatever this person is filling you with, that is your value. So if you're in a situation where you're constantly constantly being lied to, at least that's consistent. Wow. Because this person's a liar. Wait a minute. Well, at oh, least no. that's consistent. That, that just blew me away. So you're saying wow. that even, even when you know somebody is a liar, 
because they're consistently a liar, there's comfort that can be found in that? Because you know what to expect. You know this is going to happen. That yeah. explains America. Okay. <laughs> well, well, I, that doesn't explain it, but that might be a part of it. <laughs> I, I did have someone tell me yesterday, matter of fact, this is an individual who does not vote, but um, said that they would prefer our current president to stay in office because the concept of a new person and change was too anxiety provoking. Wow. Okay. Now that's interesting. So I have, we have some questions that have come up that I want to get to. And I wrote down some questions too. We're moving this thing forward. So the first question, uh, do, do you all have any suggestions for children or loved ones of addicts? And I yes. know that there's a program called, what is it? Ananon? Ananon. Okay. So, Nikki, you jump in and, and uh, what suggestions do you have for children or loved ones of, of addicts? Go get educated, period. Go get educated. Ananon is for the family members and the friends of alcoholics or addicts. Uh, CODA, Codependence Anonymous, is for the loved ones that are generally the caretakers of the alcoholic or the addict. Um, I was raised in Alateen and Alatot. So as a little kid, I ran around 12-step groups eating sugar cubes, you know, saying the 12 steps like people read the Bible. Um, so there, I mean, so when you, because, you know, I mean, we all know this addiction is not just the individual situation, right? It, it affects the whole entire family system. So the whole family has to heal. You have to get into therapy as a child or as a partner or as a friend if you are really, truly side by side with the addict or an alcoholic or, or, or person in suffering from addiction of any sort. Um, but on the drugs and alcohol, it's Alateen, it's uh, Al-Anon, and it's CODA, Codependency Anonymous. And those are three of the most powerful support groups that are free with so much literature that just kind of make it make a little bit of sense to people who really don't know and who are trying to still love and trying to still support, but also have boundaries within the relationship of whoever they're dealing with. All right. Um, and uh, Bishop, I'm going to throw this question to you. Yes. Sir. Uh, can racism be classified as an addiction? Part one. And two, does hate rewire your brain in the same way as a drug? And I'm going to partner you up with Renice for the part B. So part one for you, can racism be classified as an addiction? Uh, you know, I certainly think many of the traits are there. My PhD is not in that field. So I, I will defer in terms of from a, uh, a specifically medical uh, and even psychiatric standpoint. I, I won't speak to that, but I will certainly speak that the traits are certainly there. I think when you look uh, at racism, there's a sense of a reward. Um, and and uh, when people are doing things that are racist, there's a sense of a reward. That feeling of superiority is that reward. And so when you look at many individuals, they don't actually, when you speak to them like a, an addict, they don't think they have a problem. They don't think something's wrong. They don't pay attention to the nuance. And so I think certainly from uh, the qualities and, and characteristics of addiction, certainly from Anything more nuanced than that, I won't speak to that since that's not my area of expertise. Okay, well, certainly. <laughs> I've never thought about uh, racism in an addiction category. Um, I guess I would say it's possible um, in terms of going back to you mentioned that hate is so prevalent. Um, and some people are just, and yes, I do believe hate can rewire your brain like most things, especially if it starts at a young age, because children are so palatable. You can dump anything on them, basically, and they're going to absorb it like a sponge. So if you start early on with teaching hate, then they're definitely going to come up with this idea and changing it is so difficult. Um, and in terms of the question about children and, and um, with addicts as an as a parent, um, of course, I'm going to promote therapy because that's what I do. But I end up seeing so many adults whose parents were alcoholics and addicts. You know, and oftentimes when I have a person sit in my office and they're like, well, my husband or my wife's an alcoholic or they're addicted to this. I'm like, who had addiction issues in your family? Mm -hmm. And they're like, how did you know that? That's how you get <laughs> 
<laughs> person, you know, mm-hmm. because that's so, what so they were drawn to the attic because of what was in their background and not intentionally, not mm-hmm. intentionally by any means. They often will fight hard against it, but somehow still end up in the situation where their partner is a alcoholic addict. All right, we have another question, and then I have two more that uh, as y'all talk, y'all make me think of things. Um, so this question says, how do you help someone that constantly believes their own lies? Anybody? You don't. You don't. You can't. You don't. You don't. You have to help you to understand that that's who they are. And mm-hmm. when you accept people for who they are, then you learn. This is what this is what this is what codependency and Al-Anon teaches you. You didn't cause it. Uh, you can't, you, you, what is it? You, you didn't cause it. You, you can't change it. And you're not responsible for it. There's three C's in it, but you, you, you identify that this is about them mm-hmm. and nothing you can do is going to make them do anything. So you, you, you can't, you have to, this is where you let go and let God, if that's what you, if that's what you subscribe to, but you can't make somebody, but that's crazy. No, well, it doesn't work if, that way. If someone believes their own lies, at right. that point, it, it's so deep because they're not even lying to you anymore. Right. They're literally lying to themselves. So this is an individual who cannot look their true self in the mirror because their life is a lie. Wow. Now, now, Bishop, I'm jumping to you because you said something at the very beginning and it hit me when, uh, when Nikki and Renice were uh, talking and I want to bring this back to you. You said something along the lines of uh, uh, family and family not even being what family is. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you said something about family. I want to talk, I want you to talk about what family really is. Sure, so I'm going to go biblical there. Um, So there's a time in the Bible, Jesus is preaching and his mother and brothers come, they knock um, and they want to get his attention. Um, which tells us several things about even the dynamic of Jesus. One of the things, one of the reasons I love um, Jesus and I love the Bible is because you see the theanthropos that he is, 100% God, 100% man. So what's man can't believe is God, so what's God can't believe is man. Because even he had family issues, right? Um, Joseph is missing. Some theologians say that he had died. The Bible doesn't say that. We don't know what happened. We know in Hebrew culture, him as the oldest brother, as is true in, in most cultures today, that oldest brother, that's an android, that oldest brother, <laughs> I'm just okay. I have a hatred for android. I, I have a, it ain't okay. Listen, it's hard. All right, when I drop a donut on your door, you gonna know who it came from. Listen, I didn't call you, it's not my responsibility. <laughs> Next time you see donut. <laughs> I'm just giving you a tough time. Um, but, but so, um, so it, so is the oldest brother. He probably uh, took the responsibility for his other brothers and then sisters. And so they're not a part of what he's doing. So that tells you there's a fracture already because they came to distract him from what he was doing. They weren't part of what he was doing, uh, which begins to shape the narrative that there's a difference between family and relatives. And one of the guys said to him, Jesus, your mother, your brothers, they are outside wanting to see you, which is interesting because he didn't invite them inside. And the issue many people have um, is that you invite people in who don't know what to do when they're in there. And in fact, they tear it up when they get in there. Um, That's in life. That's in business. That's in ministry. That's in your marriage. You got too many people inside that don't know what to do with what's inside. You keep your valuables inside. So you have to make sure you have people that can respect and recognize value inside to do that. And so Jesus looks at his 12 his top 12 guys, and he points to them and he says, um, who is my mother and my brothers and my sisters? He says, whoever does the will of my father, this is my mother and my brother. Um, those are family relationships. So Jesus in that moment redefines family from relatives. Family means that we're headed in the same direction. Relatives means we share a common bloodline. Um, and that simple distinction solves most of life's issues. It's just like in the Bible, as is true in life is most of the problems and the drama and the warfare and the fighting and the issues and all of these things, uh, all of that trauma for many people, it goes back to what has been improperly classified as family when it's really relatives. Wow. I happen to teach the same principle, so you and I share that. I just wanted you to say it. Okay. Sure. So <laughs> now, uh, let, let's. Uh, this is for both Renice and 
uh, for Nikki. Um, some addictions are public, obviously, where um, people can see. Uh, at some point, um, the, the, the drug addict, they display, although there's some functional drug addicts, because I've, I've known some functional drug addicts and some functional alcoholics that you really wouldn't know unless you were close enough to them. But there's some addictions that are very open and very public. But there are some addictions that are also very private. How does someone reconcile, I think, that pr uh, those things that are private as real problems, those that people can't see? Because if I'm drunk with you all the time, yeah, I hear you talking about that. H how, is a person, how does a person come to fix or deal with those uh, addictions that are not so publicly visible? I would say, again, it's about you know, education and knowing how this is affecting your life. You know, some of the private ones would be like sex or pornography. Sex, unless you're married, you can sleep around with anyone and it's not a problem for anyone, you know, unless it affects your marriage. Porn addiction, you can do, you know, people watch porn at work. They're not supposed to, obviously, but that's again how you know if you're on company time watching something inappropriate on your company computer that you know they monitor, that's obviously a problem. That's a whole addiction. <laughs> you know, um, there. So typically, even the private addictions have some type of public consequence at some point in time. Okay. All right. I like that. In the dark. <laughs> I like that. I like Nikki. You have anything to add? So this is why denial is what it is because we in 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 addiction we will rationalize we will justify and we will blame everything under the sun to minimize. yeah minimize to excuse our behavior so a lot of the times one of the very first questions that we one of our one of our old regular old uh, assessment tools asks do you think that you're a normal drinker and you can only imagine what percentage of people ask, well, what's a normal drinker? Define what a normal drinker is. Because, I mean, it's is a gender. A it's, I mean, is that a defense mechanism, Nikki? Well, I think it can be both sides, right? But what a lot of the times you see for people in addiction is they only, um, they their, their social circle or their circle has become people who drink or use in the same type that they do. So now... It doesn't look abnormal to me because they drinking just as much as me. They're using just as much as me. Like they're doing the same things. Mm -hmm. um, so this is why denial is what it is because, you know, in, in addictions, we create these lifestyles to, to justify what we're doing, to make what we're doing be okay, to show the world that, well, I go to work and I have a job and I'm educated and I pay my bills and I own a home and I come home every night. So, you know, I don't have a, a drug an alcohol problem. I'm just drinking at work and I, you know, um, so, you know, private versus public, they, they never always stay private. They think they're private. They like to believe nobody knows, but best believe somebody knows. And, um, the minimization point of it, um, whenever we have new clients come in, we do assessments as well. And one of them is about their history of alcohol and drug abuse. And I cannot tell you how many times I have a person tell me, yes, they used in the past. It, they're not currently using. And I'm like, okay, can you tell me the last time you used X, Y, and Z? And they're like, last weekend. <laughs> but, but, but for that person, but for that person, seven days of abstinence is unbelievably yeah. remarkable. So they for them, they're like, I ha I'm not using. And, yeah. and they may have never had seven days of sobriety. So for us, it's like, we meant last year, right? But to them, they're like, this is everything. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Mm -hmm. and the first thought is, you know, last weekend, that's pretty current. That's pretty recent. But you're right. For them, it's like, it's been four days. That's, you yes. know, that's four days for them. That's a long four days. Wow. So, um, now, now I kind of want to shift just a little bit. Um, how much, so you, you hear a lot of times about a person who had a car accident. They had a back surgery. They had um, some yeah. procedure that they were in pain. And so as a result of the pain, <clears throat> the doctors put them on a prescribed medication. Um, 
is that a different kind of addiction than those who do it for pleasure? Both of them said no. <laughs> that's part of the justification. That's part of minim that's part of minimalizing. Oh, well, I don't do dope. I don't shoot drugs. I don't do coke. I don't I don't do those things. I don't live under a bridge with a paper bag. I'm not homeless. So they they find ways to 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 disassociate themselves. At the end of the day, the drug is a drug is a drug. Alcohol is mm -hmm. alcohol is alcohol. You know, and and opiates is the most highly addictive substances that's out there. Mm -hmm. Overly prescribed. Doctors get paid to prescribe it. They don't prescribe massage therapy. They don't prescribe chiropractic care. They don't they don't prescribe therapy therapy. They prescribe more drugs and more drugs and more drugs and more drugs. Highly addictive. Your tolerance is through the roof. And before you know it. You're, you're going to multiple doctors getting opiates for that back pain that started off completely legitimate. And sometimes those are the hardest clients to treat because they don't associate themselves as a drug addict because they aren't doing, you know, drug seeking behaviors. But you are when you're going to multiple doctors or you're lying about your pain threshold or you're injuring yourself to be able to get more medication. Wow. No, they're the same. They're the absolute so same. So Bishop Foreman, this brings me to something that I know we all have heard. Everybody who's watching has heard. Remember when Whitney was uh, Whitney Houston was on, on, on that interview and they were talking about and they asked her if she uh, did crack. And she said, crack is whack. Right. Uh, we, uh, basically, I can afford cocaine. I don't have to do crack. Is there this mentality that some addictions are better than the other that you found? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and people are are very the experiences I've had working with people is they're almost a little stuck up about how mm -hmm. their drug use, you know. So oh. I've had um I've worked with some meth addicts, you know, who injected it, you know. And when I asked, do you, you know, inject, they're like, no, I smoke oh, yeah. they're <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> you know. For now, for now, yeah, exactly. For now. Eventually, they'll be shooting it. That's just how so, it goes. Um, absolutely. There, there are some addictions that people view as you know not as severe as others. You, even within the addiction community. Mm -hmm. So, Bishop, how do you how, how how do you bring them back to earth? <laughs> well, a person's got to want to be back, um, back, back on earth. I think the reality is, is um, uh, I think it was Abraham Lincoln that said this, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. And so if an individual, it doesn't matter how much truth is being presented to someone um, who does not want to hear it, does not want to believe it. And so um, I think not just with addiction, but in life, right? When you present truth to someone who is arrogant, someone who's pompous, um, someone who believes that they are superior than because they don't do what somebody else does, you run into the same issue. Because what about people who are addicted to their thought that they're morally superior to other people? Um, so it is the same thought of, well, you know, sure, they gossip, they do this, they do this, but they don't cuss, but they don't smoke, but they don't drink, but they don't this. Yeah, but you're a hoe. And so, you know, or whatever it is, or whatever it is. Right, I mean, right, it is. <laughs> Jesus loves us all. But the point is, is that sometimes we become morally superior um, and be addicted to that. So to your point, um, and just to be clear, there's no judgment to anybody for any reason, for anything. Um, uh, but at, I think at the end of the day, we all have a tendency to do that, to look at, well, at least I don't do that. And I think that has to be something we all have to be consistent to check on ourselves. Because the truth is, whether you believe the Bible or not, the principles are true uh, regardless. You don't have to believe in gravity. You walk off of the building, you're going to fall. Um, the principles are true, which is pride comes before fall. And so we always have to always check ourselves to make sure that we haven't developed an arrogance to to. Um, and I think especially those even that deal in these realms um, that are therapists and uh, doctors, et cetera, in this realm, because sometimes you can become what you treat and not recognize it. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What do you mean? What do you mean by that? You can become what you, you treat. can become what you treat. So it is very easy. Um, every lady that's watching right now has gone to a hairdresser whose hair was toe up. Every man watching right now has gone to a barber <laughs> whose hair was not good. Um, every woman watching that goes to a nail tech has went to a lady whose nails look like she needed to be on the other side of the table. So if we keep it really simplistic, 
Um, all of us um, go to somebody to solve a problem when sometimes the very person solving the problem has the exact same issue. Um, and so sometimes it can be very, um, you can become that thing and not realize you've become that thing because you're so busy treating and helping that thing. Okay, so uh, Renice, I'm gonna start off with you. Question, how does a person know when they are an enabler? I saw that question. <laughs> um, okay, so are you making excuses for this person? Are you helping them hide their their addiction? You know, despite everything. You know, are you the one cleaning them up in the morning so the kids don't see them passed out on the couch? You know, are you the one borrowing money or trying to figure out funds because your partner can't go to work because they're mm -hmm. drunk high all day? Mm -hmm. You know, are you making it easy in a sense for them to continue this behavior? Do you rationalize this behavior? Well, I nag him or, you know, he has a rough job or, you know, she came from a family of abuse, making excuses and essentially telling this person, this behavior is okay, no matter what it's doing to us or doing to you. What a powerful question. And what a great answer. If you're making excuses for the behavior, if you're covering for the behavior, Check the box. You are an enabler. Yeah. Wow. You're, you're an enabler. That's, that, that's amazing. Well, listen, guys, we're, we are kind of at the point of the end. I want to tell all of you, thank you so much. You guys have brought valuable information to the table, valuable information. Listen, I have, I have more of my questions, sir. I don't mean to cut you up. What do uh -huh. you do? I just, it's a very important question. I have to do it just because we've been having fun. I have to do it. What do you do to someone who's addicted to a, an inferior phone? Like an Android, who they see it doesn't what work. Do you, I got a question. I got a question. What do you, what do you call a stranger who keeps talking about my phone? You call them business for me. I'm saying call. I got invited. You talking about me? I have an Android too. I have an Android. I have an Android, and I refuse to go to the iPhone. My wife wasn't adamant, adamant Android person. Every Samsung Galaxy Note that came out, that was her thing. And, and she would give it to me and I would have such trouble figuring out just how to do simple <laughs> stuff with it. Somebody gave me an iPhone. It's intuitive. You just we know. 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 I'm just joking with you. We do an Apple versus Android thing all the time. It is but quite Bishop, all right. But Bishop, to answer your question, what do you do with them? You pray for them. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, guys, thank you so much for. Um, making this such a meaningful conversation. There are folks who have been listening. Uh, and we stream this on several different platforms at the same time so that people, wherever they are, can watch it. And I'm telling you, you guys made a great impact, providing great information. And I want to thank you for that. Uh, next can I week. Say yes, ma'am. I'm sorry. I just want to make sure I say something before you tap out on me or my phone might die. Um, yeah. I, would, I definitely want to I want to put it out there that if anybody who's listening to you, you know, I mean, I know that people probably have multiple resources to come to and I'm not going to do a plug for my business. That's not what I came no, on I here for. But I do want to say, if, but I do want to say if anybody does have any if they want to talk, just hit me up on social media. I, I'm not here to try to push somebody into coming into our business by any means. But I do want people to know that there are resources out there. We are for the people. We are not part of the system. Um, and there's so much free help, cheap help, expensive help. There's, and it's very overwhelming to navigate this for a lot of people who don't know how to do this. So please, please, please reach out. I am more than happy to be a, a compass somehow, some form. If anybody's listening to me talk and they're like, I need to talk to that lady, then come talk to me or the woman above me because she's a therapist practicing. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure we can get you to some places if you are looking for some resources for real. Thank Absolutely. you, Nikki. That was really good. Bernice, tell people how to get in contact with you again if they want to set up a time to talk to you. Absolutely. Um, you can either email me at rjohnson at Gramercy. That's G-R-A-M-E-R-C-Y clinic.com. Or you can shoot me a text or a call at 
300-8366. And like Nikki, I'm happy to be a resource. Even if you don't want to come to our clinic or you don't want to see me, I'll be happy to get you in contact with someone you feel comfortable with or are able to help you with the services you need. All right. Next week, I, I'm, I'll be honest, uh, folks that are listening, next week, I haven't decided if we're going to do the show only because next week is actual voting day and I don't want to deter anybody. So I just made the decision. We will not have outside the box next Tuesday because I want to make sure people have the time, the space, the opportunity uh, to uh, go and take care of their civic duties and vote. That is so important. However, join me Monday, the same bat time, same bat channel. Join me Monday for Monday Motivations, Motivating Mondays, and we're going to talk to you about that. So goodbye, everybody. Thank you. Have a great rest of the week. Bye. Thank you. Pleasure meeting you, ladies. Thank you. You as well.